Well, good to be here this morning, back in familiar territory. Hard to say where to start with this journey. Uh, I thought it was going to be a kind of a long one, you know. It, It was long for me on my end of the stick, but when it comes to our traveling, it uh, didn't seem like much compared to two other boys that had to travel uh, a lot more adventurous route than what uh, Carl and I did. Uh, had about a an eight-hour flight over to London and about a nine-hour layover. And then after that, I met Carl there. Uh, one of the interesting things, and when he and his wife, and then uh, his nephew Jesse, when he was coming over, uh, Jesse got stopped in Miami and was held in detention for an hour, and uh, that was because he had forgot to bring along his visa, his American visa. Good old America, you know, if you're going to travel through, even if you're just coming and going out again, you have to have a visa. Well, it's not the only country in the world where that's true, but uh, a couple of these other boys, they found that true in Africa as well. But, but that was kind of the first uh, exciting hang-up that, that came our way. And, but then uh, I did get a chance to meet, uh, meet up with them in London, and uh, then we proceeded. Uh, we met at the plane that was going to take us down to Johannesburg, and then from there we'd catch another plane that would take us on over to uh, Harare in Zimbabwe. I don't know about you, but I've always had uh, some uh, fears and trepidations concerning uh, Zimbabwe. uh, Zimbabwe, And uh, in that, you know, we hear all this thing, these things about Mugabe and that, and and that could be a a little frightening for some people. But but after we got over there, uh, right off the bat, as I was coming into the country, uh, you have to go through immigration first, and at the immigration desk, there was a man, and you always kind of approach the immigration officials with with a little bit of uncertainty because you don't know what they're going to do and what they're going to ask and what they're going to expect, if they're going to be nice or if they're not going to be nice. And uh, there was two men at this one uh, immigration station, and I got the opportunity to, to go to that one in particular, and the man was so nice. And he noticed on my immigration form that that rather than listing myself as a missionary, I just put down pastor at, at the recommendation of Carl. And uh, the man asked me if I had any Bibles. And I'm, I guess it was unfortunate that I wasn't bringing any Bibles in, but yet I had some books. And I said, well, no, not this time. I said, but, uh, but I have some books. And so... Uh, I decided I'd go ahead and give him one and the guy that was there with him. And then the the other two gentlemen that were over on the other side uh, at their immigration post, they had wandered on over since they didn't have anybody there kind of eyeing me over. And uh, so I gave them each one, and it was the kingdom of God visualized. Now, I don't know anything about these four men and uh, what's going to happen with those four books. But nevertheless, it's just a a piece of seed that we can sow in in an unknown direction. And uh, I guess the the approach that we take on that is that we go ahead and just pray that God will use those books 
something in those books to stir the minds and the hearts of those that get them or as they pass them on to other people. And uh, I found Zimbabwe to be uh, quite an interesting place. And the people, nevertheless, are, are very delightful people to get to know and to be around. Took uh, 20 and a half hours of travel over two-day period of time, 13 hours of layover between a couple different spots, and uh, uh, weariness to the flesh, but yet... Uh, a great opportunity to the spirit uh, to be able to share with other people that sat around you in the airplane and uh, just to make friends uh, on a long trip such as that. We no more than got off the plane and made it through immigration and customs and customs. They didn't even check us at customs. They just We just breezed right on through that. And uh, the first thing we did, we got on a bus and then we went to the mall in uh, Harare. Harare now is a pretty large city and it has a good number of high buildings and skyscrapers and that. And uh, <clears throat> Carl had to go to the mall to, to pick up a few things and, and immediately then we headed over towards the, the border of Zimbabwe, or, or uh, not Zimbabwe, but uh, Mozambique. And uh, just on the uh, Zimbabwe side of the border, we, we got us a room and, and spent the night and then the next day we went to the embassy uh, from Mozambique. And we had to secure visas to get into Mozambique, even though it was just for a few days. And the unusual thing that happened there was that uh, the man that was over the embassy, which is not a big building, it's just kind of a small thing, but the, the man asked for Carl to come back and to talk with him. And so Carl went to the back, and, and he spent oh, I guess pretty close to an hour at least talking with this man, and we're kind of wondering what's going on there. And uh, he thought that Carl was a dignitary of some sort, and uh, you know how God just does things in the eyes and the minds of people. And so he was talking with Carl, and Carl had mentioned how he'd been there several times in the past, and that uh, that he had a concern for the people. And the man says, boy, he said, I just, I just... I just want you to know that, that we'd like you to come again and, and to just to do some things for our people. And it's, it's very interesting to find people in such positions and places that have a burden for their own people in their own country and desire to see things better. And uh, years ago, when I was, when I was small in... Uh, I was in elementary school. I had to do a project on a country in the world, and I ended up doing it on Mozambique and never dreaming that I'd ever have the opportunity to go there and to see the country and to meet the people, some of the people, and, and to get the chance to, uh, to share the gospel with them. But uh, Mozambique was, was quite an unusual place. We had like about 19 pastors that came in from different areas, to uh, gather together so that we could have just a weekend time of preaching and fellowship. And uh, then after, after that time, we left and we went back to uh, Zimbabwe, and six of those pastors came with us. But in, in the African countries, the people are very expressive. <laughs> and uh, they love singing, and they love to move. 
And, I mean, they got some moves that, that, that really put us to shame, I guess, in some ways. You know, we, we sit here so, so quiet. But boy, when uh, when the music, when the song service starts there, it, it's a production. And uh, it, it's quite moving because the people are very expressive. And one of the songs that, that they started out with and that really caught my attention, and I didn't know what was going on because I didn't understand the language that they were singing in. Uh, in, in Mozambique, it's Portuguese. In Zimbabwe, it's Shana. And so... Two different languages, but but they were singing this song and they were doing these motions. And the song was, uh, as the people would move along, they would move and uh, and they were singing. And then all of a sudden they started to turn around like this, and they turned around, and then they went down like this, and, and then they clapped. And you know, uh, Carl came over and he told me he said. This song is a song that is talking about the coming of Christ. They're waiting, for com- they're waiting for the coming of Christ. And they're looking for him, and they're wandering around in the world, and they're just going around in, in no man's land, and they're just waiting for the Lord, and they're, they're anticipating him to come. And, and there's nothing in the world, as they went like this, that, 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 that has any hold on them. They're waiting for their Lord. And uh, they're walking to him. They're not just sitting still waiting for him. They're walking to him and they're clapping their hands because they're doing it in joy. And I stopped to think, boy, is that what's in our heart? Are we looking forward to the coming of Christ with, with, with that kind of a attitude? And I mean, they were, they were happy about it, and they were singing, and they didn't sing it just once. They sang that thing several times in repetition, and boy, everybody was, getting, everybody was in the action of that. The, the, the pastors were, as well as the people. But another interesting thing that happened there in, in Mozambique was when the ladies wanted to honor Carl's wife. And they started at the back, I guess you'd, I'd say at the back of the building, because it wasn't really an auditorium per se, it was a building. And the ladies started at the back, and, and even when, when different groups would come up to sing, they'd always start at the back, and they'd start singing at the back as they came forward. Well, these ladies came forward, and uh, Carl's wife, was Marlene, was, was down in the front, and she was just standing there waiting, not knowing what's going to happen and what was going to take place. Well, these ladies, they started coming down the aisle, and they came towards her in a procession, and uh, they were clapping their hands, and they were doing their moves, you know, and as they were coming in. And they came up to the front, and they took one of the uh, cloths that the, the African women use, and, and they wrapped it around her, and then they tucked it in, and she, she was just there receiving it all. And then they came up, then another one came up and, and presented another cloth, and, and the, the, lead, the lead woman there, she took it and she folded it, not missing a beat. She was taking it, she unraveled it, and she was standing there, and she wasn't missing a beat, and she folded it. And then she folded it again, and then she came and she put it around her head and tied it around her head for, for a hat, a covering. And I thought, now that was really cool. But then the best thing happened that really touched my heart. They brought up a young baby. 
I'd say the baby probably wasn't more than maybe, maybe a month old, maybe a little more than that. But they brought up a baby, and they put a baby in, uh, in another cloth, and they wrapped that around her. And they were honoring her as a mother. And I thought, you know, here in America, if we want to honor somebody, we call them up to the platform. We say pious platitudes about them, you know, and shake their hand and give them a plaque or give them some flowers or something. But I found that here is a people that really express what's inside of them, and it comes out. And that was a delight for me because it's just so totally different from our culture. But it was very heartwarming. And I stopped to think, should we not have more that's inside of us? Can we not express it more towards others in our joy and our happiness concerning the Lord, but then also concerning his people? Well, we, we didn't go away from uh, Mozambique empty-handed. They brought some other gifts up, and, and we came back with a whole flat of eggs brown eggs, hardly find a white egg over there. So they had a whole flat of eggs that they gave to us, and then they had some other things, some other gifts that they gave to Carl and his wife. And uh, uh, that was really, that was something, you know. Carl is known as as Sakuru, and that word is Shana, word that means uh, uh, grandfather. And it was back in 1991, that, that misplaced letter that came to him began a 20-year, a little better than a 20-year history now of, of what's going on in Africa just because of a misplaced letter. And, and a pastor that, that wanted Bibles for his people. And uh, how Carl has been able to minister there and, uh, you know, just being in the way the Lord led him and the Lord has used him. And, you know, each of us have a different pathway in life in which we're, which we're going down. And that God is using us in different ways. And uh, it was a special blessing to see how God has used him in the work of the Lord. Because who is Paul and who is Apollos? They're but ministers. And who are we? <laughs> We're the same. We're but ministers. And we got to see ourselves as a but minister. And we just minister. We labor together for the one who is leading us all along the way. And so as I look at that, I, I see that we had, had an unusual time, an unusual experience to see how people can express their love not only for the Lord, but also for the brethren. Uh, her name is uh, now changed. Well, they, they give her the title, uh, uh, Ambuya. And Ambuya in Shana means grandmother. And they've been waiting for years to see Carl's wife. And uh, with anticipation. And, and this was a jubilant time for them because this is something they've been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for. Uh, I trust that. Uh, our jubilance will be such, you know, when the Lord comes back. And, and I wonder how, how earnestly we're waiting for him. 
especially when we see our country begin to fall apart and and we see people going so many different directions and and uh, but anyway we we moved on from there and we went over to uh, Zimbabwe and and in Zimbabwe we had pastors from five nations that came gathered together so that uh, that we could have a meeting and and the primary thought was that that Carl wanted to meet with these men to bring them in to discuss and to find out their problems and what what's going on in their particular areas and uh, then also for uh, for an opportunity to be able to share different portions of the Word of God uh, with these men. And uh, the things that, 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 um, that God impressed upon my heart that, uh, that I wanted to convey to the men was, was that here was a group of men, and out of, out of approximately 15 that were there in Zimbabwe, there's only about three that had any formal education in the things of the Word of God. So all the other men were kind of like Peter and James and John. They were but simple people, but simple people that God took and would use in a mighty way. And I I shared the things that were on my heart, basically, in the matters of the Word of God, and uh, that the Word of God is life. And it gives us life. And then it sustains us in our life. And it gives us a purpose in life. And it gives us a pathway in life. And so I shared those things with them. And then, and then also uh, shared things, uh, other things too, uh, in, in the matters of the church. I wanted them to see, and, and I believe they needed to understand, and, and I think they got a a hold of the picture that that they are a gifted person that God has given to their specific group of people. And I wanted them to understand and know that that they had an important job. And I shared with them too how that that you know their work there is the same as our work here. And the work that needs to be done is is a a preparation work. And that's a prep we're preparing people for their eternal destiny. And, and that concept God has stuck in my life, and, and that's been a driving force. That, that's been one thing that I've tried to keep a focus on, that, that we don't go through the motions of church. We don't come here uh, just, just to gather together, you know, at the appointed time during the week, but we get together because we need the fellowship, but then again, we're preparing. We're preparing ourselves for eternity. And through the messages that are shared and, and the word of God that's preached and taught, that, that, that our lives are to be changing. And God changes us from the inside out, not from the outside in. And trying to draw those, those things to the people to, to, to help them see uh, that, that importance of that matter. And, and I took them to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, in the matter of what we are about. And, and, and just those, uh, those simple truths that, that uh, gifted men have been given to the church for the perfecting of the saints. 
uh, to prepare people for ministry, for for the upbuilding of the body of Christ. And, and, and that's our purpose, and that's our goal. That, that, that's to be uh, our work as a matter of leaders in the church. And, and then, too, that, that, that everybody in the church body has also been given a gift in which to minister in the body and to the body. And so uh, nobody's been left out, but all have been given something that they can do. And, and I believe we need to focus on that. And I, and I trust, I know they, they would focus on that too. Uh, needless to say, I didn't take enough books over there to, to, to pass out. I, I have to send a few more on over. But, but, but then on Thursday, on the Thursday of that week in Zimbabwe, then I shared the timeline. You know, most of you know that that, that that's one of my favorite, that is probably my most favorite tool to use with anybody and everybody. And, and I, I drew it on a chalkboard that definitely needed some help. But nevertheless, it, it, the truth got across to them. Up until then, up until that Thursday, we met on Tuesday, we met on Wednesday, we met in the morning, we met in the afternoon, we met at night. And up until that time on Thursday, these men, when I'd ask if they had questions or anything to say, not a word was said. But after going through the timeline, boy, did they come alive. I undoubtedly hit on something. God, God touched their hearts with that line of truth that they could see and they could understand what God has done in the past, what he's doing in the present and what he has in store for the future. And it was such a blessing to my heart to see them respond. And then, and then questions came up. And, and, and the questions uh, that came up uh, it came from, uh, from individuals that were there in the group that, that I least expected that to come from. And uh, that was a special, uh, a special encouragement and blessing. And then on the weekend, on the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, then, then we shifted gears a bit and we went into what was called conference. And, and uh, the conference included everybody in the church and, and from other churches. And so uh, the house was packed uh, and there was singing. One thing I learned, one unique thing that I learned in, uh, there in Zimbabwe was it, it wasn't about time, it was about program. It was the program that took precedence. Like on Sunday morning, we started, we're supposed to start at nine o'clock and uh, we didn't get there until 10. Uh, Some had already started singing in that, you know, they they don't start on time (laughs) because it's not about time. It's about the program. But anyway, at 10 o'clock, we really got into gear. And then the singing started, and then the groups came up. And they had the small little kids up to the, to, to the big kids, the teenagers and the adults. And, and whatever group was there, they would come, and they'd come up to the, up to the front. And, and they'd fill, a lot of times, they'd fill the whole platform, which, which really went from about that wall to that wall. And they'd fill the whole platform with people. And they'd come up, and they'd sing. And they'd move, and they'd sing. And it was just refreshing to the soul to see the people just put forth in song and enjoy what they were singing. 
And sometimes they sang in English, which was which was good. Uh, good for me anyway. But uh, their response on how they would go about singing. Now, these groups that came in from the different churches, from some of these small, well, they weren't in towns. I, I, they were definitely a village. And they came from the villages, uh, several villages. And when they came for the services, for the conference, they came and they, they slept in the auditorium at night. And so it wasn't uncommon to see people lined up in the back part of the building. Uh, I mean, over halfway down. And they pushed the, the benches into the center, and the people just sleep there along on the road, uh, on the walls. Uh, the bathrooms were... <laughs> that, that, that was an experience. It was, it was a block building, and they had a cement slab... And all that was there was a hole. And uh, they had one for the ladies, one for the men. I couldn't read the signs on either one, so uh, nevertheless, I didn't venture there too often. But, uh, but the people came, and then they cooked, then they fed them. And one of the things, part of the, part of the, our part there was that as these people came, since they had been invited on our behalf, that we foot the bill. And so uh, uh, part of the monies that, uh, that, that were given to me, uh, that's where the monies were spent. And transportation, uh, gas was like $1.50 U.S. a liter. Not quite four liters to the gallon, so it was just a little bit under $6 a gallon for gas. cost $75 a throw to fill up the van that we were using, that we were... Uh, chauffeured around in, and, and uh, it was almost like filling it up every day when we started going out to the, that, to the villages and that. But, but these people came in, and they came in from distances, and it wasn't easy because they didn't, a lot of them didn't have transportation. They had to come in on a bus. And so uh, uh, the extent to which people would put themselves out to come to these meetings... Uh, was uh, was a thrill to my heart. Two of the men that, that came, two of the pastors that came, uh, one came from Burundi, and that was James, and uh, the other pastor um, came from Rwanda. And both of these countries are are pretty well north of where Zimbabwe is. They had to go through four countries to get down to Zimbabwe. And they had to buy visas to come in and go through the country in order to get down there. Uh, uh, when they were first starting on their journey, these two men got together and, and they were coming through Tanzania. And in Tanzania, they were stopped. Uh, the bus was stopped and they were robbed of all their money and their clothes. And so... Carl got a call that he needed to, to send him some money, you know, to help get him in. Uh, and so he did. He, he was able to, to get some money to him and, uh, through a wire system that they got there. And, uh, but the guys came in. It took them five days, five days to come for the meetings. And then it took them another five days to get back home. 
And I stopped to think, yeah, how, how many people in America are willing to hear the word of God and to get together with God's people that would go to that extent, that length, to be able to come and hear the word of God preached and to learn something that they could take back and, and encourage their people with. Uh, and, and, of course, you know, it's, that's the lifestyle for a lot of them over in, in Africa. Not all of them have uh, an affluent lifestyle, and, and some uh, aren't able to, to do a whole lot. Now, James had a lucrative job. He's a graphic artist, and he's done uh, all sorts of drawings, and he's, he's done some artistic work that he has sold to the government uh, back in Rwanda, where he's from, and he would sell that and, and make money, and then he'd take the money that he'd make, and he'd go and he'd do evangelistic work in different villages. And he could have a, a, a good-paying job if he wanted to stay back and, and just work for the government and that. But, but no, he, he, he feels the call of God in his life and, and his burden to, to go and to share the gospel to, to, to an unknown uh, little rejected tribe that, uh, that people don't care about. And, uh, but yet, uh, how God moves on the hearts of individuals uh, to go, and, and it's their option, you know, and their choice whether to respond or not to respond to that. And, uh, and James has. But anyway, it was just a blessing to be able to help them a little bit. Uh, another thing that I was able to do was to, uh, to help different uh, villages that, that were um, uh, getting ready. The, the two things that they usually needed, number one, they needed land, and number two, they need, or, and or they needed to put up a building or at least a, uh, an enclosure, you know, where they could meet. And uh, we were traveling out to one of the villages, and, and uh, Carl came over to me, and he said, uh, they need $100 U.S. to buy this piece of land. And the piece of land was uh, maybe about, probably about a third, one-third of the size of the property that we have here. So it wasn't no small piece, you know. It, it was an, a, a decent piece of property. And they didn't, just needed $100 U.S. to buy the land. And so we were able to help them with that. And uh, then others that, that are putting up sheds and that, and, and to get the galvanized or uh, what they were using in, uh, in Zimbabwe for, for roofing, uh, they were using asbestos. They have, uh, you know, like we have um, corrugated cardboard. They had as asbestos roofing that they used, and they've been using that for years. And, of course, it's just glued together, and it's stuck up on the ceiling, and, you know... And, uh, nobody seems to be getting sick off of it. But um, anyway, that, that's what they use over there. And, uh, uh, but the, the buildings and the people, to be able to help. One of the things that Carl did that really impressed me was when he got all the pastors together, he was talking with them this, this one day, and he, he asked them, he says, okay, what are your projects? What, what's going on at your church that you, you need help in? If you, and do you need help? 
And usually it was, well, they needed help buying the land, they needed help uh, uh, buying materials to put up a building. And uh, uh, one of the men uh, that uh, is considered a bishop over the, the churches in Malawi, uh, he's the overseer of a, of a group of those, those group of churches of, uh, that Carl has, uh, has his name, his church name attached to. Um, uh, he has a building that he's putting up, and for a little under a th- well, a little bit under a thousand dollars, they can turn around, they can put up just about the whole building. And so, from the monies that I have left over from the trip, that, that that's what I'm going to give him. I'm going to give him that money so that uh, he can carry that building to almost, probably almost to completion. But uh, a lot of the other buildings. Uh, as as the men got together, they, they expressed their needs and in, in, in what was going on there. And Carl asked them this question. He said, which of all these needs do you think we ought to do first? Who should we give money to first? And nobody answered, but he could pretty much read their minds. You know, everybody would like their project to be the first to receive funds. <laughs> And so Carl used that as a means and a lesson to teach him. He said that his church back in Barbados had money that had been set aside to do some work on their buildings. And he said what they had done in the past was they took that money and they sent it over to Africa so that some buildings could be constructed over there. And he said, you know, after we gave our building money away, he said, God returned it to us with extra from another source. He said, so we got our work done too. And what he, what he has done, he's, he's got uh, men that he has given the title of bishop, which is just overseer, to, and uh, uh, they got Friday, uh, who is, uh, he's the bishop over the churches in Zimbabwe, uh, then he has Domingo, who is over the churches in Mozambique. Um, he has another man. Let me see. I got to get his name here. Um, oh, Maxwell. Maxwell is over the churches in Malawi. And the reason why he's over the churches there is because he started about seven, seven or eight of those churches himself. He's been instrumental in starting those churches. And so he's kind of the bishop over, the, uh, over those churches. And so uh, what he's done, he's, he's talked with the bishops now that, that they can get together with their people in their country that they will contribute, say, $10 U.S. a month to a general fund just for their country. And if they would do that, they could virtually put up shelters for just about every church. They could do one church almost a month to help them get a place in which they can meet. And uh, the idea is to get them active in helping one another and working together for the cause of Christ so that they don't have to keep a hand stretched out to America and receive funds from wherever but they can they can work and they can support their own ministries there and 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 these are for the most part they're very poor people because they don't 
have a, a large income. But I stopped to think, you know, after looking over all the, the, the different things that, uh, that I got an opportunity to see and experience, what, what is it that, that stands out? Well, what was it that, that really impressed me? Well, the things that, that really impressed me was how they welcomed people into their group. We would go to the villages that, that were out in the bush, and, and we'd get to the village, and uh, uh, the people would, uh, for that little, uh, in that little village and that, and that work, they'd be waiting there, and they would greet you with song when you came in, and they would greet you, and, and they'd send you away with a song at the end. In one place, um, we had gotten there, and we held a meeting uh, in one of the huts and that, and then... And then after that, then they wanted to feed us, and so we stayed there for the food and, and feeding. And then, uh, then they ran down a chicken. They had a chicken already picked out that they were going to give to Carl and to us so that, that we could take with, them, with us when we left. And they chased that chicken around. There was about four or five in, in, uh, of us that got together, and, and we were trying to help them chase the chicken. And the chicken ran into this house, and they got it cornered in the house. And so they took the chicken, they wrapped its feet, and in the back of the bus it went. And uh, just, you know, the way the people just treated you was such a blessing to the soul. And to see people that had little to nothing that, uh, that really would touch your heart, that, that they had such an open heart to give. Uh, one thing that really caught my attention was we went to this one village and uh, uh, the pastor, and they call him chief because he's the chief over the village. And so uh, chief was about this tall and uh, an older man. Um, I'd venture to say he's probably in his latter 60s. Uh, he had one daughter left and two sons. Uh, the two sons, when they marry there, you know, they got the barter system. And, and Carl asked, he said, well, he said, what are you asking for your daughter when she gets married? He said, well, the going price right now is eight cows. And he said, but if, if you're interested, he said, uh, I'd do, we could talk about five. <laughs> But um, uh, she was like 23, and uh, quite, quite a thing to see her. But, but anyway, huh? No, no. We, we... Where'd you go? Yeah, I, I might just have to take you back there, Seth. We have to go on a venture trip. <laughs> now, you think eight cows, you know, that, that's a lot of cow. That's a lot of beef. But each cow is worth about $800 there. So you do the math <laughs> in a poor society. Uh, but anyway, uh, when we were there at his village, and that's where we chased the chicken down to bring back. But, but when we were there at his village, the one thing that, that, that caught my attention, uh, there was a young man in the village that had an accordion. And he was so proud of that thing. And he brought it out to show me. But the accordion, when he opened it up, the bellows, you could see more daylight going through those bellows. And there's no way that it, it could produce a sound because, because air, I mean, it could not hold air. 
And, and he showed me how he played it. He turned it upside down. And he only could play the bass buttons. And he'd hold the part of the bellows that, that was, I mean, just, just totally gone. He, he'd, he held that together and, and he just went up and down like this with it. And that's how he played the bass. And that's all that, that's all that worked. The right-hand keyboard didn't work at all. And he, and he said, well, he said, this is what we use sometimes, you know, for, to help with our music. And uh, so one of the things that, that I have on my heart is to see about finding something, an accordion that I can get over to that boy. I don't know how it's going to work out yet, but uh, that, that's something. Maybe I'll have to carry it myself. But uh, if need be, so be it. But, but to get, get something over there in his hand. He's the only one around that, that I know of that plays the accordion, or at least the bass button's on the accordion. But uh, what they have, they're willing to use. And what they have, they're willing to give. Kind of summing things up. I wanted to share with you a portion of scripture. Now I can find it. I had it marked already. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 14, Luke says, and verse 25. And there went a great multitude with him, with Jesus, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doeth not bear his cross, doth not bear his cross, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. Then in verse 33, So likewise, whosoever he be, uh, uh, he be of you that forsaketh not all, who forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Uh, disciples are few and far between. Uh, there's a high price to pay if you want to be a disciple. Now, I believe with, within our ranks, just as in Jesus' day, not everybody was a disciple. They were followers of, in different ways and forms or fashions. But, 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 but here was the seriousness that is attached to discipleship, to be a disciple of the Lord. And what I saw when I was there in Africa was I, I felt like I saw a number of people that definitely had those, that quality to them, like James. Not married yet. Has his eye on a wife that back there in Zimbabwe. So he has reason to come back. But yet, irrespective, he, he, he's sensed the call of God on his life and he's He's left everything, he's left his job, and he's gone to serve the Lord. And, and by the way, he, he needs support. He needs $100 U.S. a month support so that he can do his work because he's not allowed to work in Burundi. But uh, 
But then there are others, too, that are there that, that are definitely paying a price in order to serve the Lord. And they don't, most of them, they do not have fine buildings and they don't have large congregations. But uh, I, I trust they, they've grasped a little bit, at least those that came to our meetings, that, that they grasped a little bit about the importance of the work that they're doing. Uh, the work that they're doing is preparing people for eternity. And basically, that, that's our same objective and our goal. We need to be preparing people for eternity. We can do that in a number of different ways. We could do that as, uh, as we work in that fashion for ourselves, you know, as we disciple other people, as, as we uh, tend to teach and to train others and then and then you know not all of us are called to to do the teaching aspect and so we help those that that have that uh, that that have that gift and have have been given that call that that they can go and they can do their ministry and uh, that's one of the things that uh, that I find joy in that I can go and I and I see that as my calling and I just marvel at how God has supplied the needs and especially the needs for the trip uh, there was a man out in, out in California that we've known for for a good number of years and that we met back when, when he and another fellow came down to uh, Blue Water Bible College in St. Thomas after the hurricanes back in the 90s, early 90s. And, and these two fellows came our way and, and he, was, he helped us there and, and he just happened to get in contact with us after we had to come in two years ago in... Uh, uh, checking out and seeing how things were going, and and he was taking care of his mother at the time, but but uh, and then he started supporting us. And after after well, his mother just passed just shortly, and so some of the monies that he's been getting uh, by way of inheritance, he's he was able to help fund the trip for us to go to Africa, for me to go to Africa. And, and so I just, I look at that and I just marvel at how God has provided for us so that this could happen. And I could uh, have a taste of what it's like to be in Africa. And then, too, to, to recognize and, and see that, that, that there's some work that, that, that maybe I can do over there, you know, on a part-time basis. Definitely can't, I can't go uh, on a permanent thing, but, uh, but I do see opportunities that come up for, for each of these countries, these areas, uh, like in Malawi and Mozambique and, and back to Zimbabwe again, we're be able to go and gather these pastors together in these respective countries so they wouldn't have so far to travel, and then we could uh, do some teaching and training sessions with them, men that haven't had any formal training, but yet uh, we, we can at least help them uh, develop uh, their abilities in the Word of God to be more effective and for them to be knowledgeable as well. But uh, I just trust and pray that uh, that as we go on in the years ahead and in the days ahead, you know, that, that God will continue to open doors for us and uh, uh, look forward to that which we can do for him. Anyway, uh, that's just scratching the surface. We got some videos and some uh, video clips and then some other pictures too that uh, we'll try and get together that, that we can pass around and show you too, uh, just to give you a visualization of, of some of the things that I've been able to experience there, and, and the people uh, that are easily 
to, you can learn to love them. And, uh, but anyway, uh, pray for the countries there and for those ministries and those works. I'll get some names out to you too as well. And uh, God willing that we'd be able to bring uh, three or four of those men over here, maybe for our, our conference and, and uh, give you a chance to meet them and to see what, uh, what God is doing on another continent. He, God is not inactive. God is an active God. Uh, creation wasn't the only thing that he has done, and he continues to work today. And it's good that, that we can see that in 1 Corinthians 3.9, that we're laborers together with God. What a better partner could we have? as we labor for him. Thank you, Father, for our time together today. And just encourage thy people and bless them. And Father, just open our eyes as well as our hearts that we might see more of what you're doing in other portions of the world. Help us, Father, uh, to be willing to have a part in that. And and Father, to reach out. And then also, Father, to just uh, experience your blessings uh, in life today. For your faithfulness to us is beyond our comprehension, and we thank you for that. Have your will and way in each heart and life this day, and we'll glorify thee, for you are worthy of it. In Jesus' name, your Son, that I pray, amen.